0: Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com.
1: And welcome to Overnight America. All right. Way to start off the show. Yes, 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 yes. It's the last show of the week. It's not the coldest show of the week, but it is certainly the last. But we'll get a couple of uh, great interviews in, which I'm really looking forward to talking later about the big Mars rover that landed, Perseverance. I was watching it today with my son, and he was pretty excited to learn more about Mars. In the process, he was asking questions, and I told him, you know, it was the envy of any kid my age. When you heard that space camp was a thing, that was the place that you wanted to go to and i actually do not know if space camp actually existed it was it just something that was an urban legend or was space camp really a thing that kids experienced cuz i never knew one child that ever once went to space camp but i would i would love to go what's the cutoff anyway is it, can i go at 37 <laughs> can i still go to space camp <laughs> i would just go for the onesie overall jumpsuit i would be able to get a couple of patches on it And then I would show them I have what it takes to go to space. And then they would say, "Um, sir, time to get out of here with the rest of the nine year olds that are sent here. And is it just a rich kid thing? Maybe I just didn't hang out with enough rich kids Uh, because space camp, you have to fly to a different state and do all this stuff. But then again, I don't know really any person that actually went to a summer camp. I think that the whole idea of going to a summer camp is something for movies for kids. I never went to, you know, I was in the Boy Scouts and we used to go on camping trips and things, but it was all local, you know, and it was just for a week at a time. I don't really see that as the same thing, but Perseverance rover successfully landing on Mars, a key step in NASA's search for signs of life. Is there life on Mars? We will see. In fact, we're going to have a guest coming on in the 10 o'clock hour. His name is David W. Brown. We had him on a few weeks ago to talk about the mission. And it's funny how books about space, very relevant right now. Uh, NASA's newest Explorer landed safely. Maybe you watched it. It was going to, they said, estimated landing about 3.55 Eastern, 2.55 Central Time, and it was very close to that. They almost nailed it. But what essentially happens, and I was telling my son about this, what they're doing is they're getting signals from something that's about seven minutes back, meaning that it takes about seven minutes for a signal to get from Mars to the Earth. That's such a big distance. You know, I told them they launched this thing. Uh, Last year, and that's how long it would take for an actual physical rover to get out there. And he's like, whoa. So he learned a lot about space just for the fun of it. And you see all of the different NASA workers sitting there waiting to get confirmation that this thing landed safely, knowing that either the thing did or didn't. It's essentially just biting your nails and waiting for uh, confirmation. And then luckily it did. They spent two point something billion on this. I don't think it was quite three, but it was close to three billion. And the thing gets there and you're just hoping, OK, either it crashed and burned. But we've had some pretty good successes getting things on Mars. and We've got some pretty good um, technology behind it. It's the thing about the size of a Jeep, by the way, this thing is uh, huge. I think it weighs like a ton, the whole total thing that they sent out there. So the big payload, I mean, it's not a cheap deal to get anything up into space. So, congratulations to NASA to get that out there. What amazed me the most is that they were able to get the photographs back so quickly. We were watching them celebrate, and as they were still celebrating, the first photograph came in. They had this one camera that was able to just kind of scan and kind of get an idea of the exterior of the rover before you get the high definition stuff. And they got a few, maybe I think two or three photos back, which is amazing because before you had to wait like a day before NASA would release anything, but now we get it. It says that the uh, maneuver to Decelerate perseverance from a thousand miles an hour to just point 1.7 miles an hour for the touchdown they have this parachute that pops in and slowly get down they also have some burners and things like that everything seems to be on schedule so congratulations to nasa it's a great day for the space exploration one other story that came out and i think it's important to note bob dole said he's been diagnosed with stage 4 lung cancer he ran for president in the 90s we know um a lot about his history he's 97 years old and he i want to tell you one story about bob dole that i think doesn't really get told enough if you've heard of the charity called honor flight they're fantastic what they do is they charter flights to washington dc in hopes to send veterans that have never been to DC to see the memorial that was built in their honor. World war II veterans has been the primary focus, but a lot of world war II veterans have died and there's not many left. So because of that, they started to open up and different areas, have different thresholds, but there it's a fantastic organization. Honor flight is just wonderful. Used to be involved with them in a small way, I guess, but enough to understand how the organization works. And whenever The Honor Flight of Northeast Indiana would send a flight out there. I don't know how Bob Dole found out, but he would be there to welcome the World War II veterans to say thank you for your service. Isn't that something? I mean, he would be there to say hi just because he caught word an Honor Flight was going to be in town. That's the type of guy he was. Just out there shaking hands and saying hello. Bob Dole unsuccessfully sought the GOP nomination in 80 and 88. Uh, He was President Gerald Ford's vice presidential running mate in 76 when Ford lost to Jimmy Carter. Uh, Big in politics, his last run for office in 96. Mostly, I know him for Saturday Night Live depiction because, you know, in the 90s, that was a pretty big deal with Saturday Night Live when you were that young and your parents would watch it recorded on VHS and watch it the next morning. So he served all kinds of different committees, co-chairing and doing, uh, I mean, a lot for families, like, for example, the scholarship fund for the families of victims of 9-11. And he himself served, he overcame a disabling war wound going back to uh, World War II. He is someone that is well-respected. And if you remember him standing up in John McCain's funeral, it was a very touching and emotional moment. I'm pretty sure it was John McCain's funeral, either that or uh, George W. Bush is one of the two, but I think it was John McCain. But either way, I got to say, um, much love and admiration being sent to Bob Dole, 97 years old, pretty amazing. He's going to see treatment being diagnosed with that lung cancer. All right, so when we come back, a few things I want to get to. I saw that uh, Congress wants to get together and investigate whether officials have been accurately reporting COVID-19 cases. And I think a lot of people want that to happen. And Governor Cuomo has been threatening different congressmen over the nursing home scandal. There was one Democrat by the name of Ron Kim who stood up and talked about this. We'll talk COVID and what's been going on in New York coming up right after the break too. If you want to call in, you can 314-436-7900 or 800-925-1120. Let me point out that later this hour, New York Times bestselling thriller author Steve Barry is going to join us. He was someone we had in studio maybe two years ago, but he's got an upcoming public library virtual event about his latest book, uh, The Kaiser's Web. And it's a lot of it based on history, uh, accurate historical events. So it's kind of cool. So he's going to be coming on to the show a little bit later this hour. Next hour, uh, author by the name of Lucas Miles, he wrote a book called The Christian Left, How Liberal Thought Has Hijacked the Church. I'm always up for topics like this. This seemed like a fascinating topic, so he's going to spend an hour with us. Who knows? Maybe we even take some phone calls. And then David W. Brown, author of The Mission, he's a journalist, and we'll talk about the Perseverance Mission to Mars. That's going to come up later in the show, too. And Major General Mary Edler, or Edder, excuse me, uh, wrote a new book called American Cyberspace, Trials and the Path to Trust, also on the show later tonight. Jam-packed. I'd love to hear from you. So we do have these moments, like coming up after the break, if you want to call in, This is Overnight America KMOX. Listening to KMOX has never been easier.
0: Siri, play KMOX.
1: All right. It's Overnight America. All right. I wanted to talk about a few different things here. But like I said, we do have a lot of guests. And one of the nice things about Thursday nights is I try to get as many phone calls as I can. If you want to bring something up, you can. So let's talk a little bit about schools and COVID opening things back up. There's been more discussion on that. New York. Governor Cuomo uh, reportedly threatening a congressman, Democrat Ron Kim, says, uh, what did he say? You will be destroyed. Yikes. All right, so here is Ron Kim uh, speaking about that matter. Doesn't sound too good at this point because no one is really on Cuomo's side when it comes to this nursing home debacle. He
2: berated me. Uh, He yelled at me. Uh, He told me that, you know, my career would be over. He's been biting his tongue for months against me. And I had tonight, not tomorrow, tonight to issue a new statement, essentially asking me to lie um, and asking me like I I just I heard and I saw a crime the other day. And he's asking me that I did not see that crime. And and that was the line that he, you know, a line that he crossed that that, that can't be undone. And that's why I had no choice uh, but to come out and, and speak up.
1: Yeah. Some other quotes in this article i'm looking at the new york post's write-up of it you have not seen my wrath oh boy uh, the call came shortly after the post exclusively reported how secretary to the governor melissa DeRaza admitted on a conference call with lawmakers that cuomo's administration withheld the truth in the death toll among nursing home residents for fear it would quote be used against us end quote by federal prosecutors well good luck with that how do you explain hiding something that would be relevant in order to make proper decisions when it comes to fighting the coronavirus. We're talking about a governor that all of the uh, Democrats and some Republicans even looked at in such admiration. Oh, why can't everyone be like Governor Cuomo? Why can't he run for office? Oh, he's doing so good. Why can't he run for president? Give this guy an Oscar. All of these crazy thoughts that we can go back and look at and realize this show that he was putting on. We should have realized that when they were going to, give him an Oscar that he was putting on a show and acting from all of this. I want you to also look at and when they put up someone on a pedestal and they purposely withhold information that could jeopardize people's lives, how many other states may have used New York as a model to say, okay, I'm going to do the same thing. If New York does it, it's okay. You know, it's working. It's effective. Think about all the different problems we've had with nursing homes and just how common sense it is now that we know the way this virus spreads, that it's a bad idea to put someone into a vulnerable population when you have a virus that spreads so quickly to the vulnerable population. Let's look at Governor Cuomo on his critics. Let's take a listen here. But
3: if you attack my integrity
1: and my administration's integrity, am I going to
2: fail to respond? No.
1: Okay, you're going to get Fredo on it. Now, keep in mind, his brother on CNN has been a big supporter, of course, of his brother. As uh, uh, we see uh, Cuomo primetime or whatever the show is called on CNN, still, he'll pop on as governor in his official capacity and goof around as brothers. Uh, I want to point out that whenever people brought up the problem with nursing homes in New York, It's something that we saw and something we understood was going on. But for some reason, they never wanted to admit it on CNN. And the problem is now that they're even ignoring it to a certain extent. I mean, I think they've acknowledged it, but their person in the media, the stelter dude, I don't even think he's brought it up yet. At last check, he's been radio silent on this. And he's the one that's supposed to be adding this commentary and how this all rolls down. So I saw this one Rasmussen report. Voters want Congress to investigate whether officials reported COVID-19 cases accurately. This is very important, not just in New York, but anywhere else. If we're going to really understand the full extent of this virus, we need to know how this is being reported and if it's being reported in a uniform way. There's a few things that I think we should point out uh, Is number one. When it comes to reporting a COVID death, Is it being reported as a primary, a secondary, uh, suspected? What's the process that goes in there? I think that's important. Uh, Number two, how many other complications that go along with it, I think, need to be understood. Because when we look at these totals, we realize that our problem when it came to testing has been so off for a long time. I mean, you could take a test five times and it can come out three ways and two ways and it, uh, it could be split. It's hard to tell. There, there could be a tiebreaker test. We've gotten better with it, but man, early on, we weren't. I mean, it was not good. And even some of these over-the-counter tests that have been uh, now debunked, as in they said, we're going to get this out. This will be great. You can test in the privacy of your home. You can do it yourself. You don't have to report. Blah, blah, blah. You can self-quarantine. They said, no, these aren't even accurate anyway. These are like 50 so these are not good. Governor Cuomo uh, accused of concealing facts and nursing home deaths. According to this Rasmussen report, most voters want Congress to investigate. It says that 65 percent of likely U.S. voters think Congress should investigate whether officials are reporting accurate information about COVID-19 cases. Seventy four percent of the GOP voters. Want an investigation. 60% of Democrats, 59% of voters not affiliated with either of the two parties. So it could be independent, libertarian, or whatever, uh, socialist party. When it comes to whether officials can be trusted to report the information accurately, only 13% of Republican voters say they have a lot of trust in the information being reported. Is that a surprise too? I, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. 44% of Democrats say they have a lot of trust in the way that this is being reported. See, I think we're too cynical. I, I don't trust it. I mean, why should I trust it? But going back to Congressman Kim, uh, Assemblyman, I should say, not Congressman, Assemblyman Ron Kim, Democrat, inside of uh, New York City, who brought this up and said, no, I'm not going to lie for you, Governor Cuomo, not a chance. Listen to it again. He
2: berated me. Uh, he yelled at me. Uh, he told me that you know, my career will be over. He's been biting his tongue for months against me. And I had tonight, not tomorrow, tonight to issue a new statement, essentially asking me to lie um, and asking me like I, I just I heard and I saw a crime the other day. And he's asking me that I did not see that crime. And, and that was the line that he, you know, a line that he crossed that that, that can't be undone. And that's why I had no choice uh, but to come out and, and speak up.
1: So he said that his wife could hear Governor Cuomo yelling at him over the phone. At one point, Cuomo asked Kim if he was a lawyer, which he is not. And after the call, he was devastated. He said, my wife didn't sleep at all. Later, Cuomo, quote, called me four or five times on Saturday, but he didn't pick up. Um, Yeah, I wouldn't pick up either. What a madman, if that is true. Crazy. That's like crazy ex-girlfriend stuff. You stay away from that. That is toxic. That is insane, threatening Um, Good for him to come out and mention these things. It's definitely worth bringing that to light. He is insane. Here's another uh, quick COVID story I wanted to bring up over on the CBC. And this is really sad. Over in Canada, do we have to be this strict when it comes to regulations over COVID? An 80-year-old was kicked out of the hospital for holding her husband's hand, uh, begging for compassion because he suffers from dementia, can only communicate through touch, And because she touched her husband's hand, they kicked her out and won't allow her to see him anymore. He can only say a few words, but he can't really communicate. Uh, The only way he can really communicate is through touches, through holding his hand, talking to him, hugging him. He responds with hugs. He'll hug you back if you hug him. It's a terrible situation to be in to have a loved one in the hospital right now during this COVID. It's, It's terrible. Married for 60 years. The hospital says zero tolerance. You're out of here. You're not allowed to be with your husband anymore. Can we just cut this zero tolerance garbage and say that she should be able to hold her husband's hand without breaking all the rules? Come on now. Come on now. I am very sad with the way this worked out. In fact, this shouldn't be the case. It should never come down to this. There should be exceptions made for things like this, and there should be some compassion However, there is no compassion in some of these instances. Uh, Governor Cuomo, however, uh, probably would have been for it. So maybe she was wishing that her husband was in New York where he would have been put back into a vulnerable population and anything goes at that point. So not to make light of it, but that's what's going on in Canada. How could you do that to an 80-year-old woman and her husband? How could you do that? That, to me, makes you wonder, how in the world do you sleep Uh, knowing that you are just devastating so many different lives unnecessarily. It's really unnecessary to take it that deep. Are schools going to be opening back up soon? Dr. Fauci, by the way, talking about the problem with teachers and vaccines, and not all of them have been vaccinated. I think if you were going to say that every single teacher needs to be vaccinated Before you get back to school, I believe, quite frankly, Tony, that that's a non-workable situation. I think teachers should absolutely be
3: priority among those who we consider essential personnel. And you should try and get
1: as many teachers as you possibly can vaccinated as quickly as you possibly can. But to make it a sine qua non that you don't open a school until every teacher is vaccinated, I think is not workable. And probably most of the teachers
0: would agree with that. You want to put a good effort to get as many as you can as quickly
1: as you can, but you don't want to essentially have nobody in school until all the teachers get vaccinated. A oh, way to go. And that's that's the way to look at it because you have these teachers unions like in Chicago who refuses to work even when they add extra money and put all these extra efforts into it. They just refuse to go back in and you're hurting the kids. These poor kids don't deserve this treatment. Uh, you can't say, okay, uh, all... All teachers need to be vaccinated before you go back is very unrealistic. And quite frankly, it's kind of a bad excuse too to to try to push this back further unnecessarily. So maybe we'll talk about this later in the show when we come back after the break. New York Times bestselling author Steve Barry joins us. He's got an upcoming virtual event with the St. Louis Public Library on his newest book, and we'll talk to him about that on Overnight America.
0: Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. News Radio
1: 1120 KMOX, the voice of the Cardinals. Welcome back. It's Overnight America. Welcoming back a Very popular uh, author, someone that's a New York Times bestselling thriller author, and you can find his books by doing a search for him online. He has an upcoming virtual event for the St. Louis Public Library next week. It's uh, author Steve Barry. Thanks for coming back on to KMOX.
3: Great to be here. Last year I was there in the studio.
1: Was it last year? It seems, you know, this whole COVID thing has messed with my concept of time and space.
3: I'm sorry, I said that wrong. It was 2000. No, it was last year, 2020. It was before it started.
1: Must have been yeah. right on the threshold of it it, yeah, could have been it was in early, February. early
3: it was February, yeah, it was before it all started because we toured and came to St. Louis, yeah, that was last year.
1: yeah that's got to be tough for you that it's used to touring and going and talking about your book, and then this hits, and then it makes it more difficult.
3: It's going to be interesting this year cuz all the events are virtual so we're doing 10 virtual events. Now the the, int- the cool thing about it is anybody can tune in from anywhere in the world and enjoy those. That's the neat thing. The bad part is you're talking to a green dot on a screen. <laughs> you know, so it's uh you got to get you got to get all charming and yeah, and all the kinds of things you want, you have to be in order to can get your message across by talking to a green dot.
1: Yeah, and I think it was the Warsaw Protocol. Is that the book you yeah, were uh, talking last about year. last time? That yes. was last so, year.
3: Yeah, it was, it was last year. It was a cold cold night, as I recall.
1: Oh, man. Well, just like it is now, it seems like it, we could be on the one-year anniversary. <laughs> Who knows? But I, um, I think about the amount of research you put into that book, traveling, experiencing things for yourself. And you have a new book. Uh, that people can actually go and find out about, or they can participate in this upcoming virtual event with the library, the Kaiser's Web. Uh, it, did you do the same amount of research, or how, uh, what went into writing this one?
3: Uh, quite a bit of research. I've been to Germany several times, and the book focuses on the on a German national election that's going on that Cotton Malone gets caught up in, and, and a secret out of World War Two that's still has some bearing today, something I came across in my research about four years ago that surprised me. I didn't really know that was true, and when I found out more about it, I realized there was a novel there, but Cotton ends up going to South America and South Africa, which I did not get to go to. Uh, I wanted to, but COVID prevented some of that from happening, and you don't have to go to a place to write about it, but it certainly does help to go to that place, and so those, those two were included without me going, but then Switzerland is in the book, Austria is in the book in germany all of which i have visited
1: probably better that you didn't get a chance to this time because your luck you would be visiting and then they cancel all flights and you'll be stuck in that country for a couple of months
3: i don't want yeah you don't want to get that that bad and what we were we were supposed to go to south america last year but it didn't it didn't work out we were supposed to go to romania too because i want to do a book with romania but i just bumped that book a year and i'll go to romania we'll try to go next year
1: So talk about the virtual event that you have coming up, and it's uh, right around the corner, and the publishing of this book actually comes out next week, so this appearance kind of corresponds with your virtual event, which is next Monday at 7 o'clock for the St. Louis Public Library, and I know there's information on the Public Library's website, too.
3: Yeah, there's that, and at my website, org, all of the virtual events there. You can register for those and come online. Uh, they're going to be selling books through a bookseller, and I signed book plates and sent to the bookseller, so you can actually get a signed book with my signature that you can put the book plate in the front of it. Uh, I've been to the St. Louis Library now, gosh, five, six, seven times, quite a bit uh, we've been there, and it's a great event. We love it there, but you know, this year they're doing it virtually. I recorded that event the other day, so they, they actually recorded the event beforehand and they edit it down into a slick presentation so people who tune into that are going to get a a very well put together presentation we had a great interview uh they're going to learn all about the kaiser's web hopefully it'll get them interested enough to to pick up a copy they it goes on sale next tuesday on the 23rd
1: right very cool Uh, steveberry.org again is a great location to try to uh if you want to learn more about that or some of your other books in the series, because huh? what well, what number would this be in the series?
3: This is the 16th Cotton Malone, but don't let that... Don't put anyone off. I write the books so that you do not have to read them in any order. You can pick them up in any sequence, read them in any order you would like, because each book deals with a different part, some different history, a different time. So uh, they're modern day thrillers, but it deals with something from the past that's different. So there's things that may interest you more than others, and you know you can pick up however you want.
1: See now you're breaking the secrets. I didn't realize that some of these were pre-recorded, and that's how it's done. Have you that actually is, been that's to... the
3: only one. All of the others yeah. are going to be live. But the St. Louis Library they put together a really nice uh, presentation. We talked for about an hour, and they'll whittle that down to about 30, 40 minutes, and it'll it'll go together. They they I've seen some of their other presentations. They do a really good job with it.
1: That's great. Now, when you're visiting St. Louis, have you actually been to the downtown library, the large uh, location?
3: No, we we go to the one outside of town where we do the event out there.
1: Yeah, there's a couple of different branches. It's a nice system. I mean, they do a really good job when it comes to bringing in guests like yourself, big time uh, authors and whatnot. And they do a great job with the kids too. They'll bring in kids' author. I got a six year old, so he's very interested in those type of books when the authors come in. And th- oh, you know, they, they put a lot of effort into it.
3: They really do. They do a good job. It's always there's. 300 plus people there every year it's a i enjoy we do it almost every year and it's a wonderful place to start the tour out and uh I, i hate that we can't come this year but it's just not possible but we're hoping to get back on the road again next year
1: oh that's great i hope so too i hope things get back into it so you um keep busy it seems like you're non-stop writing one after another
3: yeah, I have a deadline. I have a, you know, one a year. I, I like to eat, and you know, they don't pay me unless I give them a book. So I have to produce one, and uh, you know, luckily I have a contract through two thousand twenty-four. So I'm okay. You know, for the next uh, three years, I should be okay for. Uh, for books, and I've uh, the the 2022 book is uh, I'm working on now, and you know should have it done here very shortly, and um, you know 23 and 24 are there, and there's a you know I'm going to be doing a a new series with uh, Grant Blackwood, a friend of mine, a number one New York Times best-selling writer. We're going to do Luke Daniels. We're going to take one of my characters, Luke Daniels, and spin him off into his own little series and world, which will be fun, starting in 2022.
1: Oh, that's really cool. You have to write for your supper. That's great. You know, I wonder when you do all this research, you travel and you see all of this history for yourself and then you make it into, you know, you adapt it into your novels like this most recent one, uh, The Kaiser's Web, which is coming out next week. Do you ever feel like you get the itch to write a nonfiction, like a biography about some of the people you learn about and, and kind of go in a different direction sometimes?
3: I haven't had the itch for nonfiction, but I would like to write be fun to do a sci-fi book. It'd be, that'd be kind of fun to do. Uh, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind giving a, a shot at a sci-fi book. I have an idea for one that's been beating around in my head for a long time that I'd, I would like to write. But unfortunately, I can't write one of those in lieu of Cotton Malone. I can write it in addition to Cotton Malone, but not in lieu of. So I've got to get to a point where I get a little bit ahead and I can I can devote some time to produce to write that that separate book. So I would like to it would be kind of fun to 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 come out of my genre just a little bit.
1: Can I say that my son thinks I'm one of the greatest writers of all time? And this is what I do. Like, if we're doing bedtime and he wants me to tell him a story, I basically summarize a very popular book or a movie or something I've seen. And he's always just so he's so sucked into it, not realizing it's not my work. But, you know, when he's six, it's easy to impress. So at least for now, he hasn't realized and caught on to my game yet.
3: (laughs) Well, Story is a story, and you know your audience, and your audience enjoys it. <laughs> that's what what's all about, is to write a story that people will enjoy, listen to, and, and, and want to hear more of. That's really, that's, that's really a commercial fiction writer's dream.
1: Yeah, I'm looking online, so 20 million books in print, which is pretty remarkable. It's, that's hard to wrap your head around, isn't it?
3: It's actually up to 25 now. We're at the 20, wow. probably an older number you're looking at. We're at 25 yeah. million now. I have to pinch myself. Yeah, it's just, uh, we're in 50... 52 countries, 41 languages around the world, and, you know, I just pinch myself because, you know, it took me 12 years to get published, you know, and mm. I went through 85 rejections over five different manuscripts. You know, I made it the 86th time, 12 years after I started, so it was a long process for me to get published, and now to have that many books around, it's just, you just pinch it, you know, like, only in America, it's amazing.
1: Oh wow. And that is great to be able to, to live that and give up. So many people would give up, but not to give up and to keep fighting and knowing that is your passion and you wanna you wanna do that's pretty remarkable.
3: Yeah, yeah I tell people think... all the time yeah, I don't know much oh. about writing, but I know a lot I'm an expert on rejection.
1: <laughs> when you get up to twenty five million books in print, but You know, a lot of people do the e-books anymore. Do you pay attention to the breakdown of how your audience is consuming your work? Yeah.
3: Oh, yeah, we always do that. I'm about 70-30. I'm about 70% physical books, 30% e-books. And that's about true of most thriller writers. That's about where it runs, 70-30. And uh, yeah. that, that's how mine, that's how mine shakes down. And other genres are different. Like in the romance genre, it's probably 80% E and 20% physical. There's, oh. there's different, it's different in each genre, but depending on how the audience is, but thriller, thriller readers are more physical book readers uh, than they are e book readers.
1: You know, a lot of people at the start of the virus and the lockdowns and people distancing in their homes, working remotely, things like that, they all took on a project and they had this motivation to try to do something new. And a lot of people decided, you know, maybe I'll finally write that story. Maybe I'll finally write that poem or I'll write that book, things like that. Were you super motivated during this time? Did you find that this may have been maybe elevating you to give you more motivation to write or was it the maybe the opposite?
3: No, I had I just had more time to write, which is nice because I didn't have to go anywhere. Uh, normally, see, we're if you add it up, we're probably on the road. We're probably on the road three to four months a year. So you know, I'm I'm not all at once, but you space it out. It's probably somewhere around twenty weeks a year. we you know we're on the road somewhere, going somewhere. I didn't go anywhere, so I was here all the time. So I actually could get a lot done, and I did get a lot done. Uh, you know I was able to get kind of ahead of myself a little bit. I used the time wisely to try to catch up and get ahead of myself and um, that was really neat and and i I'm gonna miss that a little bit when because I've kind of gotten used to it where I can you know I, I'm here all day i can I can do it and I don't have to stop and go here or go there or go there uh, I'll have to get back in the swing of that in next year
1: I saw a, you've been i mean you've been on so many different television radio print things like that the weird question i'm just totally curious if you even know the answer to this so uh, it says here msnbc fox cbs sirius xm npr new york times wall street journal washington post usa today to name a few when you make an appearance on a national publication or a tv or radio show which one gives you the biggest bump afterwards the noticeable bump that you know their listeners it resonated with them
3: Well, for me, it was when I went on to the Lou Dobbs show many years ago.
1: Wow. Uh,
3: Yeah, it was a while back. It was probably five, six, seven years ago.
1: Uh,
3: I went on his show one night, and then they replayed it on a Sunday, and I got a huge bump.
1: Yeah. Uh, (laughs) A huge,
3: massive, massive bump. I really did. And uh, that's. That was probably the biggest bump I've ever seen. When I was on MSNBC or CNN or those, the bump isn't the same.
1: Yeah. I uh, just was always curious if yeah, what kind the, of uh, networks resonate, what listeners, uh, what well, viewers.
3: The, the reader The reader that leans a little to the right is a little more apt to buy that book. Than the leader, than the reader who leans to the left. At least in my experience, it's been that way. Okay. Uh, even though, even though I write the books, kind of right down the middle for right and left. They did a survey of my books a while back, and I was 50/50 conservative, liberal, 50/50 Democrat, Republican, almost 50/50 male, female. Wow, that's impressive. And I write them that way on purpose to try to achieve that very thing. So I, I don't write books for politics. I really don't. Some people think I do. I really don't. I write books to entertain people. That's its only purpose.
1: Yeah. I think uh, my program director here may want to have a word with you to try to help you coach me on this show to get better uh, demographics like that. So next uh, Monday at the St. Louis Library, your public event, uh, it's a virtual event that's going to be happening at 7 o'clock, and people can find it on the St. Louis Public Library website. Steve Barry, do you mind holding on after the break? I'd love to keep talking to you about this.
3: No problem. I'll be here.
1: Steve uh, Steveberry.org in his upcoming book, The Kaiser's Web. We'll talk more about it on Overnight America KMOX.
0: Now back to Overnight America on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael's com. Welcome
1: back. I got an email from Brad Young I want to read to our guest, Steve Barry, who's uh, joining us. He's a New York Times bestselling author. Uh, you may have read some in the series there. And he's going to be doing a virtual event for the St. Louis Public Library, which uh, is recorded, but will be on this upcoming Monday at 7 o'clock. You can find info on there. His latest book is coming out next week, too, ahead of it, uh, The Kaiser's Web. Steve Barry, again, thank you for coming on to KMOX.
3: Great to be here. Thank you, sir.
1: So let me read this email from our friend Brad Young. He's a contributor. He fills in on the show, too, when I'm off. And he messaged me and said, a Great interview with Steve Berry. I have read almost all of his books. I may have missed a few. If you haven't read his novels, you should. Very historical and very compelling all at the same time. So you have a big fan in Brad Young.
3: Oh, thank you. That's very nice. Very kind words.
1: He's a partner here at Harris, Dow, Fisher and Young, and he does a lot of legal analysis for us when it's, uh, you know, stuff that's going on in the news. And then he fills in on the show. So I respect his opinion greatly. And if he says it, uh, it's good stuff, then it's got to be good stuff. So Kaiser's Web is is, what can we expect with this book? You mentioned a few of the things before the break. And I know that uh, people like Brad Young, who have read a lot of your books, is it going to have the same feel to it? Is it going to feel like it just it, it falls in line with some of the other things that they love?
3: Yeah, you're going to think that I wrote it last week. Uh, There's some interesting things in it that are very prophetic. I wrote the book two years ago. So uh, it deals with the the rise of the new right in Europe, which is going on right now. It's very troubling, uh, things that are happening over there. And this is not the rise of conservatives. This is the rise of the new right. The new right's a whole different animal. And uh, we're going to explore that concept of nationalism in Europe. Uh, Cotton gets caught up in this German national election. Both of these candidates are, go after, are against each other. They both know secrets on each other, and the secrets become very intertwined. And there's a couple of surprises for the reader through it. And it all deals with what happened on the night of April thirtieth, 1945, in the Fuhrer bunker underneath Berlin. And this is not a book about Hitler surviving the war. He's clearly dead in the novel. But it is a book about someone else who was in that bunker that night, someone else who disappeared after April 30th. And we have no idea whatever happened to him, and that's Martin Bormann. What happened to Martin Bormann? Where did he go? We don't know. And this book explores all of the of what what it deals with. Uh, it's a it's a thriller taking cotton to South America and something very interesting in South America that some of which the reader might know, some of which is going to be surprising. And then over to South Africa, which is a place that fascinates me. So you're going to get a good travel log in these times of lockdown, and you're going to get an interesting novel that deals with some very fascinating politics out of Germany that has a lot of bearing to us. And you're going to read it and go like. Well, this, you just, you just did this. No, I wrote it two years ago. So it's, uh, (laughs) it's, it's, yeah.
1: Proof that history repeats itself, I guess. (laughs) Uh, You know, can I give you a fun fact about Hitler? (laughs) I'm sorry. I've said this fact probably about uh, eight times in the past week, because we had a guest on last week. He's wrote about 40 different World War II books. And he was talking to one time, uh, I was interviewing him, and he was talking about Hitler's uh, drug problems, different things that he was taking at the time. He was using cocaine eye drops. Um, I don't know how many years going down, but man, that uh, wow. that's a fun fact about Hitler. He was that's a uh, user stuff. of cocaine eye drops. Yeah, no kidding.
3: It, <laughs> here's the thing. If Martin Bormann had been in charge of the Third Reich, we would have been in real trouble. Hmm. He was much more dangerous than Hitler much more cunning, much more devious, much more cruel. And he and he, and he and Hitler in a lot of ways was made a lot of mistakes. You know, he was a he, he was narcissist and he had a lot of problems and he wasn't very good on strategy. He just it he just wasn't that way. He was a mesmerizing speaker who could capture people, but he just could not he was he was not that great when it came to actually leading. Bormann mm-hmm. knew how to govern and he was much more dangerous. And so wow. this book deals with Martin Borman, and, and, and you're going to learn a lot about this particular individual.
1: So steveberry.org, you can find out this book, the one that is going to be coming out next week called The Kaiser's Web, and then here in St. Louis, virtually the public library is going to have an event on Monday night, the 22nd, at 7 p.m. You can see that interview with uh, author Steve Berry. Thank you so much for spending the last half hour with us. I really appreciate it. This was fun. Be great.
3: Great for having me back. Hopefully next year I can come see you live.
1: I hope so, too. I always enjoy it, and I'm glad that you kick off your tour and always make a visit here in St. Louis, so that's great. Uh, Steveberry.org. Go check him out on there in his latest book next week, The Kaiser's Web. I'm sure you'll enjoy. Uh, He joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line. That was fun. If you haven't seen one of these virtual events from the library, they put a great amount of production, and it's uh, it's very well done. It's worth your time. Something to check out next uh, Monday night. I'm your host, Ryan Recker. This is Overnight America, KMOX.